This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, February 16th, 2022. I'm Caleb Brown. A long shift continues on the right in how they think about so-called big tech, the ability of large tech companies to make their own rules. So what's changed? Cato's Matthew Feeney and Ryan Bourne discuss what it means. Matthew, I want to start with you. Uh, Characterize, if you can, the evolution of, I guess, public thinking about big tech, for lack of a better term, these big speech platforms like Facebook uh, and others on the right. How has the right viewed uh, that technology uh, in light of, you know, basic the basic freedom to communicate? I would argue that before the emergence of Donald Trump, there really wasn't much of an emphasis on these big tech platforms. They were used by uh, conservative activists and conservative organizations to spread content. Uh, and However, after Donald Trump's election, a lot of emphasis was placed on what people call big tech. And these are usually Google, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. And there was widespread concern among the American right that these companies are stifling conservative speech. And the more traditional approach to policy, which was one that was skeptical of the administrative state that embraced the right of private companies to do what they want, seems to have evaporated somewhat. You've seen more and more conservative and Republican activists, lawmakers, embracing a more uh, government intervention approach when it comes to regulating big tech. Ryan? I think um, the most obvious manifestation of this shift has been um, in regards how antitrust policy should be used. Um, Just a couple of years ago, uh, conservatives continued to defend what's become known as the consumer welfare standard over the last 40 years. In essence, competition policy in the US has been uh, predicated on a on a lodestar of uh, conduct being by big companies being fine so long as uh, consumers are benefiting in some way, whether that be through lower prices or more innovation uh, in markets. And one of the things that we've seen in the past couple of years is um, where conservatives have been concerned about content moderation decisions. Um, about speech policies on individual platforms, a willingness to then advocate for um, the use of antitrust policy um, to try and kind of curb the power of these platforms. Even though traditionally antitrust policy, you know, is is focused on price and innovation effects, and and you know doesn't concern itself with these kind of non-economic, more social, political speech um, subjects. All right, so uh, Matthew, it's fine if. The broad public says, hey, these guys are discriminating. We need to crack down on them. Uh, it's quite another for a large, the largest conservative think tank in America to say uh, s- censorship or limiting these platforms ability to uh, foster the kinds of communication that they want to foster. It's quite another for them to, to say that this type of restriction is fine. It is rather uh, surprising uh, to those who haven't been paying attention to uh, public policy uh, in technology over the last couple of years. Uh, it, it really, I think, is uh, is telling that the, the the country's most prominent conservative think tank is embracing an approach that is markedly different from how conservatives in America treated technology companies in the past. Many people. Uh, have have said uh, about markets for a long time that there are mistakes made and we might not always like what firms do, but the 
the way to approach this from a government point of view is to let competition work and to let uh, the market provide alternatives to consumers. And I would argue that is still the case today, that those worried about big tech still do have alternatives. But what, what we, we have seen recently is that there's a, a affirmative embrace of government action here, which is to either uh, hold uh, these these companies' feet to the fire with, with antitrust enforcement threats or to try and force them to host content they otherwise wouldn't, which does, it seems to me, is, is at odds with, um, as Ryan mentioned, a, a traditional approach to antitrust, but also um, at odds with the founding documents of the country, the, the, the First Amendment, which empowers private companies to uh, choose what kind of content they want to be associated with. All right. So uh, to whoever wants it, uh, what is the Heritage Foundation or what are Heritage Foundation scholars rather arguing is the appropriate way for government to approach uh, large technology companies? Well, there's a whole range of different policies advocated, and there's been a ma- as Matthew alluded to, there's been a major shift even within the Heritage Foundation on how to approach these topics. Back in uh, 2018, a couple of Heritage Foundation um, economists wrote a paper outlining um, just what a, a win for conservatives the adoption of the consumer welfare standard in antitrust had been. Um, a paper released just this week completely about turns on uh, many of the recommendations from just two years ago. So broadly, uh, the Heritage Foundation now argues that because of all of these instances which they perceive as as bias in, in speech codes and, and bad content moderation as they perceive it um, from these big tech platforms, in essence, um, antitrust policy should be used to um, investigate these big companies for a whole variety of, of different reasons. And really, there's three um, major big changes to antitrust policy or approaches to antitrust policy they're looking for and advocate in this paper. The first is basically to use um, uh, committees, oversight committees, and relevant uh, federal agencies to just do tons and tons of investigations into big tech companies, which uh, is kind of like... Uh, the sort of push on antitrust we've seen on the left in recent years, which is basically just investigate the hell out of these companies and uh, and see if we can find something that, that sticks. So that's the first thing. So the second major change that uh, the Heritage Foundation advocates is for, in essence, um, for any company that is seen to influence or shape the public square, uh, by which they suggest Alphabet, Amazon, Apple, Meta, Microsoft, these companies should essentially be banned from combining a buy side and sell side in a market. Now, what does that mean in reality? They, well, they don't think that um, companies like Amazon should be able to run a marketplace and then at the same time uh, sell their own products on that marketplace and complete with uh, third-party uh, providers. Now, that sort of uh, development of a market space in which you participate is something economists have recognized is good for consumers, it enhances competition, it improves consumer welfare. Um, but the Heritage Foundation now seems to believe that that's antithetical to, to competition and so objects to it, which is uh, an indication of this shift away from the consumer welfare standard. And the third thing that they want to do, in contrast to what I've just said, is to um, essentially codify the consumer welfare standard in law, um, but in doing so, incorporate into it a, uh, a, a kind of measure somehow 
of um, consumers being able to have free political speech on platforms and having more control uh, of their user data. So they want to kind of refine the consumer welfare standard according to their values and then enshrine that in law. It's not clear how that would work. And as I say, it completely pushes against the recommendation I just talked about previously. But in essence, I think the only way to square the circle on all all of these things is the Heritage Foundation wants a full court press of the use of federal agencies and antitrust power really to get these companies to change their behavior when it comes to content moderation. I think that's the only way of interpreting all of these disparate um, advocacies. Uh, Matthew, this doesn't sound too terribly different from what people like Diane Feinstein would be pitching in the form of the Earn It Act. I suppose that there is a, there is a, a overlap here. What what we've seen in the in the last couple of years, especially, is that the left and the right has plenty of complaints about uh, big tech. And on on the right, you have concerns about too much content being taken down. But uh, with, with the left and certainly some senators um, on, on the right, you also have concerns about the number uh, or the amount of uh, illegal content, such as child pornography, that that is um, that is up there. And and in all of these discussions, uh, Section two hundred and thirty is widely cited, and in in the Heritage paper, Section two hundred and thirty is used. Uh, Section two hundred and thirty provides a valuable liability shield for companies like Facebook and Google and Heritage would like for that liability protection to be removed if you screen legal content. And I I understand why that might sound appealing to those who feel as if uh, big tech is censoring conservative speech, but you have to consider that the First Amendment protects a wide variety of what people might call awful but legal speech. And were this recommendation to be implemented, Social media companies would be put in a uh, horrible position, which is to either allow for the plethora of awful content, like videos of animals being crushed to death, or beheading videos, uh, photos of lynchings, and so forth, or choosing to edit or uh, to moderate that content but risk liability. And and this is what I think is is very interesting about about the paper is that from a a policy point of view, it seems just on its face unworkable. And I'm not aware of many people who work in the technology policy space who think this this would work. But the, the paper uh, clearly uh, is consistent with rhetoric from uh, the Republican Party, especially in the wake of the Trump administration. And f- because of that, I still think the paper is rather interesting. It's certainly an interesting sign of where the conservative movement is uh, is heading. At least traditionally, I conservatives have been very skeptical of federal authority. And this is at least one case where they seem to be welcoming it, if not uh, seeking to empower it uh, to a great degree. Yeah, I think there's one glaring contradiction that runs through this paper, which is that um, in advocating for greater federal policy involvement over these companies, um, the paper tries to prove that there's sort of a a big tech, big government um, nexus at the moment that is moderating and uh, stifling uh, conservative speech. Now, Matthew and I think that some of those concerns are overblown and there's still a kind of open marketplace uh, to a greater extent than the heritage scholars believe. But if you really do believe that, it's difficult to understand why you would want to uh, embolden structurally 
uh, and give the federal government more power over the regulation of these companies. Because when you're when you're devising policy, you always have to presume that uh, parties are going to take power with views antithetical to yours. And uh, and I think empowering federal agencies in this way, um, in you know, in empowering federal agencies in this way, if this was to manifest, uh, conservatives would have to be incredibly careful what they wish for, because these policies could just as equally be used. Uh, to to um, moderate uh, speech policies and moderate uh, economic outcomes in a way that conservatives wouldn't like. Matthew Feeney directs Cato Institute's project on emerging technologies. Ryan Bourne occupies the R. Evan Scharf chair for the public understanding of economics at Cato. Subscribe to and give a rating to the Cato Daily Podcast on your podcast platform of choice and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 